Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Comics Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can check us out on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. You can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. Okay, well, we've got a pretty easy agenda uh, to, uh, entail, to, to, to outline for you today. Black Panther, okay? Read my lips. Of course, you can't <laughs> see my lips. But if you could see my lips, they'd be saying Black, Black Panther. Panther. All right, peoples. Um, <laughs> where, how do we get this party started? <laughs> well, I think we can we can start off by talking about the anticipation for this movie. In that, um, I think you all saw the Vine where the uh, young gentlemen were like embracing a Black Panther poster, <laughs> and one of them was saying. Is this what it feels like to be white? Yes, I did uh, yes, see that. Yes, yes it was. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> Keith Knight did a reaction cartoon. Did you see that I did one? not see that, no. No, yeah, in which he was like, well, I mean, we're all glad to see Black Panther, but we really ought to have something like the Bechdel test for black movies. And, <laughs> and, I did see this. Oh, I and, did uh, and I don't think just black people talking to each other is enough. What, what could we have in it? Could we have multiple black actors whose names we don't know so we don't keep hiring the same seven guys all the time? Uh, it, was, it was interesting that he sort of popped out of... Well, well Keith's well, you know always what? good let's, for let's that. Back up just a, let's back up a little bit with Black Panther. Um, you know, I mean, this movie is so momentous that Kate went to see it opening weekend. So I did not see it opening weekend. I saw it the week after. Opening week. Okay. You saw it opening week, Kate. Come on. Don't, don't, don't dissemble. Well, listen, uh, when did you did you see it? I saw it uh, Thursday night at previews, uh-huh. yes. Uh-huh. I was actually abroad. I, well, I was in Long Beach, California for a show, and uh, I saw that it was going to be Black Panther uh, weekend, and I made sure I got tickets. And it was the, the tickets were all sold out. I mean, there was only yeah. crappy seats left. But luckily, just like a few days before I traveled, they opened up a ton of screenings. So uh, I was able to get tickets. And, uh, you know, me and, and uh, my friend Ivan Cohen, who was the programming director for Long Beach Comics Expo, we went and, um, you know, everyone we said, oh, we're going to go see Black Panther. They're like, oh, I, I-, I want to go too. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's sold out. And I told you two weeks ago. And you know what? You're SOL, buddy. But yeah, it was, it was, uh, and, I mean, I'm sure we all have similar uh, experiences, uh, but I mean, Black Panther is just a social phenomenon, not a movie. Uh, I mean, it's more than a movie; it's really yeah. transcendent. But uh, you know, I was in Long Beach all weekend. Uh, there's a movie theater right across the convention center, right across from the um, from the hotel, and uh, several people at the con were like, "I want to see the movie." Oh, it's sold out. And all weekend, just, you know, cars would open up and families of black people would be getting out of the car. And it was obvious they were there to go see Black Panther. I mean, just carloads, carloads of people coming to see it. Well, I was at the Black Comics Expo at at the at BAM in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, what, two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. And uh, they actually, um, the Black Comics Collective, Collective, which uh, which actually organizes this new show that's um, started, uh, they actually worked with BAM uh, as part of this ongoing effort, which is happening all over the country, 
to like create screenings around Black Panther in advance, but also to screen other black superhero films. So, I mean, this this is this thing is a phenomenon um, for looking at the culture as well as for looking at our, our medium. Um, and and it does this thing that that I guess only maybe I mean, movies are popular around the world. But movies have a particular place in American intellectual life. In fact, they sort of provide American intellectual life in many cases. I mean, more Americans respond to movies in terms of how they understand history than they do from actual legitimate historical studies. For you know, in many ways, even if you're obviously a, a thoughtful, well-read person. Uh, I mean, pop culture has has ways of influencing just how you respond. So this movie has all of those. It's got all of that. Well, I, I mean, where well, do we start? Well, to talk it's, about it's it? uh, you know, I would start with Ryan Coogler and good, uh, good and place on, to start. And on the way home uh, from Long Beach, uh, on the plane, you know, they had Creed, and I was like, well, let me watch Creed again because uh-huh. you know this is the guy has this is only his third movie. Mm. And uh, I have not seen Fruitvale Station. Have you seen that? No, I, I, I haven't seen any of his movies. Okay. Oh, well, you haven't seen Creed? No. Oh, my goodness. Nope. Well, Creed is like 100% pure entertainment. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I watched it with, uh, you know, Ben, my uh, <laughs> future ex-husband. And um, <laughs> we were like, why is every boxing movie exactly the same and yet you watch it anyway. You know, it's like the young boxer comes, he faces the champ, he gets trained by Rocky. And Michael B. Jordan, who plays Killmonger mm-hmm. in uh, Black Panther, plays Creed, the son of Apollo Creed. But anyway, this movie is pure entertainment. Uh, Tessa Thompson, Valkyrie, also is in ah. the film. So, you know, it's a nice little little preview. But, mm-hmm. I mean, this guy, there is a, an amazing story from, like, 2006, uh, that's an interview with Ryan Coogler when he was only like 21 or years old or mm. 19. It's like, like just talking about how he was came from Oakland and wanted to make movies. And he literally says, I just want to be able, you know, I want to go to film school and I want to direct. And says, you know, it's great that this young man has two parents. I mean, it's literally <laughs> like, you know, his father's a, a parole officer. Yeah. And so, you know, that's really helped this young man on his road. But, uh, I mean, he's so young. He's only 31. Yeah. And, I mean, Buck Panther is the fifth biggest opening of all time. I mean. <laughs> um, and it is also, um, it's opened well overseas, yeah. you know? And, and I mean, let's be honest. A lot of countries are not as open to the cast of Black Panther, the theme of Black yeah. Panther. But uh, it's, it's, you know, the Marvel cachet. And, you know, I got to give props. I give props to Kevin Feige. Marvel Studios, they mm. give props to Disney. Uh, they like money, yeah. <laughs> and they got a lot more money than they thought possible. Well, with this it's movie. very interesting. I mean, the whole notion. Oh, I'm sorry, do you wait, wait, Kate. Go, yes, sorry, yes, go ahead, Kate. Kate. Sorry, yes, go ahead. Kate. Hey, sorry. please do. So, speaking of countries where it might not be liked, sometimes it's not like for. It had a possibility of not being liked for totally opposite reason. I read a very interesting article um, from a reporter who lives in Africa, although ah. she's American, about going to see Black Panther in Africa with African audiences and going in, the people she talked to were very on the fence. They're like, we really want to like it, but every movie made by people who aren't African about Africa that we've seen tends to be cringy. (laughs) Yes. And they went in to see Black Panther and they loved it. Yeah. That's what I, that's the kind of reports I've been seeing. 
uh, about African offices, uh, audiences also. But, I, but one of the things I, I just wanted to, I mean, I know there seems to be a, you know, a, a stereotype in Hollywood about black people. Go ma- imagine. <laughs> but How that, many of them? Yeah, Lots. But that black films don't, I mean, I, this is, this is, this is a, a phenomenon that also, uh, you know, I, I, I connect it with the, uh, the whitewashing uh, of Asians out of films too. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a there's a body of work by you know by by Asians Asian Americans Black Americans in all other areas of our creative life that are global best selling phenomenons. Yes, and the notion that somehow or other a movie, uh, either by Black people or with invested in Black subject matter, wouldn't travel, I just found it. I find that amazing. Yeah, yeah, and especially it's because. Usually the arguments made are, oh, no, 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 no. It's not prejudice, conscious, or unconscious. We're just thinking about the dollar signs. We're thinking about the dollar signs. Well, and then people try to refute it by going, look at the statistic. Like, it doesn't bear it out. The yeah. numbers in the theaters don't bear out your, quote-unquote, common knowledge. Right. And, <clears throat> I mean, what is really fascinating to me about this is that in the 70s, there really was a very robust... Uh, black cinema, you know, it's called black exploitation movies. Yeah. but they were, yes. but they were, and you know, yeah, I'm not they s- made money. That's I'm not saying why, yeah. that these films were necessarily all that we would like them to no. be in terms of social message, but they were quite popular. Yeah, they were and popular, the sure. actors who starred in them were very successful. And there was actually, you know, there's been many books written about the black exploitation cinema. And there was no question that this was a kind of movie sure. that would be made and would find an audience. And, you know, we went through the 80s with the Reagan years and, and the 90s with, a, you know, a lot of weird things happening. And, I mean, it's literally taken this long. It's taken 50 years yeah. to say, again, even though there are movies with African-American casts that do very well, you know, but it doesn't all have to be that idiot. What's his name? Medea. Who's the guy? Tyler Perry. Tyler oh, Perry. Tough, Tyler tough, Perry. Yeah. I've, I've well, those to... are incredibly popular. They are. Very popular. They're very popular movies, and yet they still don't seem to help anyone but Tyler Perry direct movies. Yes, but African American culture and style makes big bucks around the world. I I mean, the notion that somehow or other a really well well done film wouldn't—it's baffling. Well, it's 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 but that's over with now. (laughs) You know, Calvin, I don't even need to tell (laughs) tell you it's not baffling. It's just racist. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, that's, uh, uh, well, but but anyway, oh, go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, well, I, I don't know much about Ryan Coogler. I know a lot more about him now. Uh, I, in fact, the only thing I did know, and that's because I'm a sports nut, is that you know he played college football, uh-huh. and he's <laughs> talked about it a little bit in terms of playing a team sport and and uh, and how it motivated him and how he's brought some of that over to his creative life. That said, I mean, it's not a that's not an important thing or interesting thing. Right. But let's talk a little about the movie itself. Let's do now. It. No, when I went to see it, um, you know, I just gotten off a plane and had this hellish flight. Uh, anyway, too boring to go on. But uh, to, when you fly uh, to the west coast in the winter, often there's headwinds, and my flight took eight and a half hours, and uh, it's very jet lagged. So. It it did offer this kind of hallucinatory <laughs> edge to seeing it the first time, and and perhaps during some of the more dramatic scenes, I, I was in one of those recliner chairs. I might have drifted off to the to the, to the celestial plane, to the celestial plane <laughs> where they had the beautiful Black Panthers. I, yes. I would definitely go to that that plane uh, any time. But uh, you know, it, and but what struck me in my in my you know fever fever dream state was just the beauty of this movie. You know, we've talked on this podcast many times about the MCU 
and how homogenized they are. And that's the other thing that I give Kevin Feige, Disney. They said, Ryan Coogler, go make your movie, you know, and he hired the best people, many of whom were women. Yes, <laughs> Like this yes. is a woman's, this is also the vision of women. And uh, Rachel Morrison, the, the director of cinematography, unbelievably beautiful. Uh, then the costumes and oh, the, the costumes. set design and the hair, yes. and yeah. the hair, yes. Also by uh, by two women, uh, even you know the set decoration. I mean this this movie just. I, I went and saw it again last night, very alert. And I mean Me too. there there was not <laughs> you know there was not a moment where there's not so much just fill your senses in this movie, and you know as someone I, I you know the one okay so there's a couple of i don't say criticisms but like comments about the film and one of them is that the hero black panther is almost swept away by the fact that the rest of the cast is so fantastic like yes. every character in this movie has their own story arc and their own moments yes. to shine yes and i mean that's to me what really made yeah. it a, a wonderful film yeah. it felt like a fully I wouldn't say realized world, but at least realized cast of characters where it didn't feel like it was mostly the hero standing in a box and, oh, hey, we need something for him to talk to. Mm -hmm. It felt like all of these characters were fully real to their writers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I just, you know, well... I just want to jump in to say uh, I want to g- really give an incredible um, a- amount of praise to Coogler's script. It's Coogler's script, which he wrote. I, I forget the, mm-hmm. the guy right, who wrote he it. He co-wrote it, yeah. Um, uh, the movie for me was uh, innovative, changing, pioneering uh, in terms of of its ideas and its and how its story put, is put together, but the ideas in the story. I, I I wasn't as blown away by some of the cinematic stuff uh, because a, a, a lot of it borrows from uh, really uh, a, the the usual set of superhero and adventure flick tropes. Um, uh, you know the mysterious casino, uh, the the James right. Bond assistant yeah, the handing out the gadgets, the mass fight. You know with the blurred, you know the uh, swinging going oh, to background. Oh, hold on, but, okay, let me finish. Let me finish. Uh, I mean, these are all tropes. We've seen them a hundred times. It's what's in them, how he's brought this together, his script, how he's set up the things that happened in the script. Uh, and once again, the most important thing for me about this story was the, it was, uh, the ideas about Pan-Africanism, about yes. African people dispersed around the globe and reconnecting. How he brought um, Killmonger, the black American, uh, and reconnected him to to. Um, to Africa and how he did that and what that means for me was almost like a Roots moment brought forward 40 years uh, from the original Roots film, which established another uh, narrative in American popular culture that hadn't existed before. This reconnection of African people with um, <coughs> through this narrative that saw that supposedly Haley discovered some connection. Now that's argued about really right, in real right. whether that actually happened. But bringing that forward to now, yeah. that narrative, that pan-African narrative, both in his casting, because he has a cast from, a, from, every, from everywhere around the African diaspora, to the ideas in the movie of you know, Killmonger going back and bringing Wakanda What did you of think of, of Killmonger? Uh, go ahead. Yes, yeah, right, actually, go ahead. one thing that really struck me about this movie 
is that, especially in superhero movies, but in movies in general, usually there's a gap. No matter how well they're written, there's a gap in the villain's writing. Like, they are understandable and understandable. You understand where they're coming from. And suddenly, they fall off a cliff into crazy land. With Killmonger, there was no gap. And not just for you, the audience, but also for T'Challa. That T'Challa, the whole time, even while he understood completely why this man had to be stopped, at the same time, he completely understood where he was coming from and never lost sympathy for him. Absolutely. Because it wasn't like he just ate the crazy juice at one point and then suddenly is like, and now flying monkeys. Like, obviously kill all the oppressors and take over the world is a bad plan. <laughs> it's a bad plan. But, like, he means it. Mm-hmm. And he's fully human throughout the whole story. And that almost never happens with yeah. a villain. Usually they keep them fairly human up to a certain point, And then suddenly they're like, oh, wait, we need to have them be bad. And then suddenly they're like, oh, and now he went crazy. And, you know, like, every time Killmonger monologued, it was for a reason. I mean, he there was a reason for him, you know, to be talking to T'Challa before he killed Absolutely. him. That was like, you know, this is why I'm doing this. It was like so much, and you know, I'm not to give just in case you haven't seen Black Panther. I won't give away quite some what some of the motivation is, but um, you know, it, it it was all for a reason. There was none of that awkwardness. I mean, it was like this is why I'm doing it. I am making my statement, and my statement isn't like Ultron. Guess what? Robots are awesome. It was like. <laughs> You know, yeah. this is a real thing. I, I, I mean, to Calvin's point, I, I mean, so much thought was put into this movie. And, and it's and a well-written script. It, it is, really is. It is. And that's why these actors have, so I mean, excel and shine, because they've really got something to work with, all of them. Yes. I went back and saw the movie for a second time last night. I knew that the acting was good, but that confirmed it once mm-hmm. again. After the, to hear we talked about Winston Duke. I should also say, I think we should also warn people. I mean, I hopefully we haven't given any spoilers, but there's no guarantee that there won't be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is, yeah. We've all seen this movie, and we're all thrilled to the bone. Okay. So I, something might slip out. Okay. Now, I will say, this is not the kind of movie that I think is wrecked by spoilers. The uh, reveal Heidi was talking about comes fairly early in the movie. Yeah. So... Um, I wouldn't necessarily bail unless you're hardcore spoiler phobic. But yeah, stuff might slip out. Yeah, but, but you know, I mean, you mentioned Winston Duke. And I mean, this character, you know, everybody's talking about Shuri. Shuri's Black Panther's sister. She's the M. She's like the great teenage uh, mm-hmm. genius. And, you know, and she's, she's genuinely funny. And she's just yes, hilarious. Absolutely. She's wonderful. She's so fresh and delightful. And, you know, I think that the, the character of uh, uh, what's Duke's character and I always get M'Baku M'Baku yeah. oh, yeah. I yes. really flew but you know I, even when I was do- no, dozing off the minute that guy came on screen I was like holy hell an electrifying <laughs> oh actor. my god he was electrifying and and every woman has the same reaction yes. same reaction to this but the character well was, men are reacting too different yes, way but absolutely. still yes, yes absolutely. everyone I, I, loves M'Baku everybody loves oh, M'Baku I, I thought the guys every time he opens his mouth the speech he gave uh, at the your first challenge, oh. um, you know, uh, we're not having it. The speech he gives after uh, at a later point in the movie um, when, you know, some of the um, Wakandans are gathered before him. Uh, uh, he, he and the brings, fake out he does. He, yeah. he, yes, his humor. 
Uh, I mean, but you could say that about almost every character yes, in this, absolutely. In you know, this movie. You know, but he not, makes it work. He, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I've, it's very rare that I've seen someone steal a movie quite, like, just vividly like that. Just a few scenes. Like, everyone came out like, M'Baku, M'Baku, M'Baku. But, but, but that said, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, Michael B. Jordan is amazing. And, you know, Denai Guerrero. Uh, the the yes. head of the Dora Milaje, uh, uh, you know, the women in this movie are just astounding, and Lupita Nyong'o, she's so yes. beautiful, she's beautiful, luminous, and, and she does a little acting herself uh, too. Yeah. Well, one thing I liked about it is that there was a fully realized family at the heart of this film. Yes. Mm-hmm. Usually, superhero movies sort of play lip, pay lip service to it. The hero has, like, maybe some relative who's off in Florida or something who they talk to on the phone for two seconds, and everybody else is dead, tragically. Uh, And you'll sometimes get flashbacks. But it was nice, and it actually drove the story and showed you more about who these characters really were to to have T'Challa have a fully functional family group who are all important characters in the movie. Yeah. That, yeah, I mean, his father absolutely. was dead, but he was by no means alone. And, and on that note, I, I just want to, I want to, I want to give praise to Chadwick Boseman. Yes. Um, yes. You know, obviously, everyone's talking about uh, Jordan, whose 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 performance is phenomenal, and I agree. Uh, but I, I I would I would posit that Chadwick Boseman has really really is the star of this movie. Yeah. He has to act across a far greater range of emotions and situations than anyone else in this movie. He brings authenticity and passion, humor, uh, all of this through this generic African accent that no one drops at any point. (laughs) I mean, their voice coaches and their own talent is amazing. They all maintain these generic African English accents throughout the entire film and within it they still get incredible ranges of nuance humor musicality when he's talking with uh lapita uh, nakia you know his ex when he's talking you know when he's when he's uh, super emotional when he's being funny i mean he brings all of these emotions to the table and they're convincing every time i mean it's really i i've never seen a superhero movie with so much pure acting from across the entire cast. Yeah. No, it, it was it was so well done. I mean, and it, it didn't really feel like a superhero movie, no, to be frank. No. I mean, it, was, it was really more of a fantasy movie that had some people in suits. And uh, Oh, Kate, I'm sorry, go on. Go on, that was it. No, I was going to say, you know, one of the other elements of this is, uh, is that it's really finally brought Afrofuturism sure. to the forefront, you know? And yes. this is a really intriguing, to me, I've always been fascinated by this, uh, you know, kind of science fiction movement that's yeah. been going on for quite a while. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of it's pretty weird. Let's be honest. It's very unusual. <laughs> it's very quirky. Well. But but this has really brought it to the forefront. And, uh, you know, people are going around, you know, the Wakanda forever. I mean, this has become like, it's already, Calvin is doing <laughs> Calvin's it. just doing Calvin's this. Doing Wakanda, Wakanda, Wakanda apparently, forever. Apparently, he walks around the house doing it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, it's, it's almost... Uh, you know, I mean, this has already become just in the firmament of of stars. And, he, you know, I will say Marvel's done it before. I mean, they did it with Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, as soon not as every... To not to this degree. No, <laughs> I mean, like absolutely. This. No. I, 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 but, I, I mean, I do want to say that, you know, like I said at the head, you know, Disney likes to make money. I think they don't mind when they do something that's that's this groundbreaking and it's going to give them so many plaudits. And, it, and let's be honest, it's the right 
thing to do. And at well, the right time. But let's not forget, it took them a while to do it. Yes. I mean, they had, people were saying Black Panther, Black Panther, Black Panther, asking them when Black Panther. And they would say things like, oh, well, we think, you know, it would just be really hard to sell. We're not sure how to do it yet. Uh, but we're doing Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> right. which yeah. has a talking raccoon. And this this movie was amazing, and I don't want to take away anything from it. But I do think we can't forget that it did take Marvel, and then thereafter Disney Marvel, a while to get here. Well, I'd like to point out, you know, I wrote a piece on the beat about this. And, uh, you know, they spent a lot more money on Black Panther than they have yep. on some other Marvel movies. And uh, this is... this and Thor, no. But this and Thor Ragnarok were both made post- Ike Perlmutter, you know, after uh, the studio about three years ago was rested from uh, being under Ike Perlmutter and uh, to praise be, be, yes, praise be to, you know, from Dow, but uh, and under uh, the main Disney banner. And if you notice, the movies since then have gotten even better. Um, you, you know, I mean, Thor Ragnarok had a completely different tone. Completely, it really did. Yeah. And, finally, did. and yeah. finally had a female villain. Yeah. You know, it is rumored that yeah. uh, Ike, Ike did not ever want to have a female villain because he said they wouldn't sell toys. And, you know, finally in Thor Ragnarok, they had Kate Blanchett as, as Hela. It yeah. was, a, it was uh, delightful. Yeah. You know, maybe, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, Ike has a pretty bad reputation as being just a... A mean person who doesn't like diversity, and uh, maybe that's part of the reason why this time so this movie came at exactly the right time, yeah. and they're finally making Captain Marvel next year as well. So, you know, I've complained on this podcast endlessly about the cookie cutter nature of Marvel films and how they're so generic, and they look like you know they could have been made by the, the same person, and in fact, many times they were made by the same people. They have very generic. Uh, second units, very generic uh, previs. You know, a lot of the visual effects were very um, generic. You know, Black Panther totally breaks that mold. It looks like um, somebody's, uh, you know, movie that they really loved and uh, audiences love it as well. Yeah, I mean, Calvin Early was talking about how, oh, it has, you know, these common tropes. But if you, like perhaps, like me and perhaps Heidi, are less focused on the fight scenes, which were, they were fight <clears throat> scenes. Um I would say that even if there were common landscape tropes or common science fiction tropes, the execution of it was more creative and more appealing than in any other Marvel Cinematic Universe movie I can think of. Like yeah. the only thing I can think that comes close is that realization of the first Iron of the Iron Man suit in the first Iron Man movie. Mm-hmm. Nothing since then has been yeah. executed with as much love as Wakanda was executed. Yeah. Yeah. We're not talking the action scenes, just Wakanda yeah. itself. A- absolutely. Yeah. Um, just to jump back to uh, Heidi's mention of Afrofuturism, um, I mean, I encountered, you know, my first, uh, in- uh, my first encounters with were back when I was in college, uh, when it was a more simple set of ideas and discussion points. It's become now an almost academic as well as a kind of, uh, creative strategy to mm-hmm. go about things as as the ideas have kind of proliferated. That I mean, when I first encountered it, you know, it was centered around people like Sun Ra, you know, um, and just sort of black people in an imaginary future. I mean, I mean, I think that is still the core of it, but we've seen so many more expressions of it, and we really see it brought to fore in this movie. And I mean, when you look at uh, uh, um, Killmonger, 
uh, Michael B. Jordan, uh, and, you know, he, representing African Americans, uh, returning and recon- reconnecting with Africa. He's he's got the flair. He's got the black street flair. He certainly represents some kind of hip hop influence. But he's also his his Shakespearean flaw is that he's he's also. Uh, you know, the American part of that African American is basically poisoned by American geopolitical ambition mm-hmm. and arrogance. Yeah. I mean, that's what he sees as the future of black people ruling the world, essentially an imperialist American state uh, that ruled by power. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's returning, however, to an Africa, to a Wakanda that that in some ways is like the romanticized Africa of my younger adolescents black power days it was always this vision of this bucolic african village you know uh you know uh, a, a village that brought you back and, and it was communal living this communal village of course has spaceships and kind of you know and and amazing bullet trains you know, exactly <laughs> yeah you've got, uh, you got your villages and then yeah. you've got your nice little small city with walkable streets and, <laughs> but, but set in in mega futuristic cities that have levitating, you know, yeah. public transportation as well as um, a village-like street. You know, I mean, I was in Nigeria in the 1970s and in a mig in in Lagos, and it's a major city, but there were open sewers at the same time. There were, you know, there you you there were some parts of the city that had dirt roads and some parts that were as modern as Manhattan. So you have the, but you saw Wakanda in this this. A new version of the romanticized African village as a mega city. Uh, I just thought that this this film brings together so many concrete ideas about African American intellectual thought over the last eighty years than you would ever see mm-hmm. in a popular movie. It's just incredible. Yeah, I it, think Kugler has made his career with this one. He he really has. And it's it, fun and it's smart. It is. It is. <laughs> and I mean, it really it's possible. <laughs> movie makers it's possible but i mean the fact that he was able to pull this off is it's is like i said it's only his third movie but the fact that he was able to pull this off yeah is nothing short of yeah. of phenomenal and uh you know he is already in he, all of his movies star michael b jordan and they've already announced that they're going to do another one it's called wrong answer but it's going to be about a, a school cheating scandal so so you know they're doing something very, very small and uh, you know, not full of flying trains uh, to, for their next movie. And now, but for those who are dying to see the Black Panther cast, they will return in Infinity War. Avengers, That's right, Infinity War. At least we know we'll see Black. Uh, we'll see T'Challa. Uh, we will see um, uh, Okaye. Uh, and uh, seeing that that uh, uh, Mbaku might be lurking there in the background too. For all you Mbaku fans. <laughs> I mean, okay, here's where I'm going to be the party pooper. I'm so, like, uh, uh, very, like, oh man, about Infinity War, because basically it's saying, hey, you know everything you liked about that really unique Marvel movie? All those characters you saw doing something, like, interesting and new? Remember how you liked how Doctor Strange was something, like, totally out there and trippy? Well, we're going to take all those characters and we're going to paste them all into a generic <laughs> Marvel movie yeah isn't that what you want from these characters well i agree and you know that, and, it, and whatever it's, it's like oh ant-man meets um star lord woo i mean uh, um, um, yeah I, I i you know the one thing i will say that i'm i agree i have not enjoyed the avengers movies however uh i will say this is post ike apparently 
uh, and that the, the the Russo brothers have made it made my two other favorite. I thought that uh, Winter Soldier is Winter my, Soldier was a really good. wonderful, you know, really good movie. And uh, you know what, Civil War was also a pretty good movie, even though it had yeah. every character. Well, Kate's barfing, but I will say for what it was, yeah, I, I, it I had liked it. it had a lot, and I love the ending. And the it sets ending, up Black Panther. The ending of Civil War was so. Yeah, unexpected and excellent. Like, I I totally give them props for that. Yeah, Kate yeah, and is it sets not up, having it. It, it sets up Black it. Panther. I want to throw out a question here, and this this might be a spoiler, so I'm just telling you out advance. But I want we've to, already warned everyone. Okay, yeah. but I'm warning them again. Um, there is a there's a there's a character that's missing in Black Panther. I I'm I'm curious if either of you have thought about this, and this is a mother figure, and I don't want to say the character. Even though I guess I sort of have, there's a mother who is missing, and I yes. assume Killmonger's that, mother. Well, right. yes, yes, yes. So I'm fascinated. Who is this woman? Yeah, I mean, part of me wondered if the reason that they left him in the first place for all he's like, you know, you left me, you left me, is did he have? I mean, they say that his mother's American. Yeah. Did they think, oh, we can't take him from his mother? Is that why they left him? Because they didn't want to take well, an adult American not, woman with them? That's not what was brought up. Well, I mean, I mean they, they, said, they mis- said they wanted to keep the secret. But is the reason that they, part of the keeping a secret, that they, you know, I mean, like, his mother would look for him, and then we'd be like, where's this lost kid? Or, like, what? I That was kind of left up in uh, the air. Yeah, it is. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, why did... All right, spoiler, 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 spoiler. Why did Killmonger have to die? And... You know, the way they were throwing around those magic beads and stuff. Yeah. I mean, Killmonger definitely doesn't have to die. But, I mean, they've said that was his story ahead of his art. It yeah. would really kind of ruin the, the beauty yeah. of his storyline, too. Uh, beauty. But, I mean, the power of a storyline if he was alive. Yeah. But I do wish Killmonger. Well, I wish everyone well, is and, back and just hanging around and fighting robots, you know. They yeah, can I all mean, team I, up and fight robots together. Like... Yeah. Well, read Killmonger's death. I mean, I actually felt like, like they addressed it well. That it felt organic that he was allowed to die, that he chose yeah. to die instead of be treated because he knew that he would and should not be forgiven for. Well, his he crime. said he was. That was it. Yeah, he, he was too far gone. He, he, he said, did I'm not too far want gone. to go to jail. I mean, he's like, I can't live in bondage. I have to live free. And T'Challa respected his choice. Like, That's right. I mean, it was a. I mean, it was a, a classic, silly, extended death p- scene. Well, but yes, but it was, I will say this: if if, if you're going to make one that would work, that one did. That uh, one did because of where it was in the film, because of the actors involved. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, I don't think he had to die. I mean, I do think he probably should have died. But you have to wonder. I you know, mean, they've well, created this incredible character. I know, but sometimes in, in a story in storytelling, it's just right for a yeah. character to be killed off. Plus, I mean, a villain who has that kind of arc in the first movie, can they really make that work forever? Or will he just get denatured and know, just like a things, random cackling baddie? Sometimes things are perfect just yeah. the way they are. Maybe they'll bring him maybe, back. Maybe well, there's the ancestral plane, so they all can, all can right. have his so dead spirit. Who knows? 
As long as Mbaku is there, I'm happy. You know, I want to, I want to, oh, uh, I'm going to throw in one more thing, Uh, Calvin. But I was going to mention just in Long Beach that when I was out there, they did have a big focus on Black Panther. And uh, they had Evan Narciss, who was writing. Oh, yeah, I got to read his You know, and he was talking, he was talking about how wonderful it was to go and, you know, see this movie with his family. And uh, also Don McGregor was there. Now, Don McGregor, who wrote Mm. the first standalone uh, Black Panther series, he Mm. created Killmonger and a lot of the mythology of Wakanda in his classic run in Jungle Action, unfortunately named book. But uh, he did it with two artists, Rich Buckler, but most notably... Um, Billy Graham, who was an African-American yes, cartoonist mm-hmm. back in the yeah, 70s. Yeah, I don't know much about him, but... And, yeah. uh, you know, this is a book that I read when I was collecting Marvel Comics back in the day, and uh, it's really a great run. It was really nice to see Don, um, to hear him talking about his work on, on the series, and uh, and really nice that it's, it's yeah. you know... I, 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 you know, as a white writer, he really brought a lot yeah. of uh, passion and heart to the to the series, and that 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 made it through to the movie. Uh, just quickly, I like to. Uh, I think another important part of this film was the opening sequence that laid out the um, mythology of Wakanda mm-hmm. and the Black Panther. I thought that was incredibly well done. A, a very quick way, anim- doing, using animation, to really give the, an audience a, a backdrop in the continuity of the characters and the scene that they're about to see. Yeah. See, I think it was just very well done. And I think there might be questions about Killmonger's mother that maybe, who I knows? Think that's gonna I, mean, be a, I think that's going to be a are they great gonna, thing to explore. Are they going to make... Black Panther two, I wonder. I don't oh, know. I don't think there's I any. Wonder. Yeah, I, wonder. <laughs> hmm. I wonder if there will be a Black Panther. 2. I guess there'll be more to come on yeah, that. There will be more to come. Well, well, speaking of more to come, while I was in Long Beach, I grabbed a couple of interviews that don't have to do with Black Panther, but um, well, with Cecil Castellucci and with uh, Barbara Dillon on Fan Base Press. So, uh, so here's some interviews, but uh, from from Long Beach. For the meantime, yes, Wakanda forever. Yes, Wakanda forever, and um, that's going to mean more to come. Hi, welcome back to More to Come. Heidi McDonald here, still at Long Beach Comic Expo. And I'm sitting with Barbara Dillon of Fanbase Press, right? Did I get that right? You did indeed. Okay. All right. So, uh, Barbara, what is Fanbase Press? Now, this, uh, I've heard of it before. This year, it really got on my radar because you published Quince, which was a McDuffie Award finalist, Mm -hmm. and I read it. It's a really wonderful book about a young girl who gets superpowers on her uh, yes yes which I'm glad it is a challenging yes it is it is but anyway it's really a wonderful book so tell me just what you know where is Fanbase Press from what does it do Sure. So Fanbase Press has been around since uh, 2010. We are a publisher as well as a news outlet. And our tagline is that we celebrate fandoms and create new ones. So not only do we publish, but we see comics in the comics community as a rising tide. We're all in it together. So we promote creators through reviews, interviews. We have an entire podcast network. And for us, we just love giving a platform to other creators because... As I said, everyone needs a voice and needs to share their story. Right. Now, that sounds crazy altruistic. I mean, (laughs) uh, is there... You know, a prod, do you sell things? I mean, you have to, you know, how do you sustain this altruism? We do. So we, uh, we've we been publishing for all eight years. Uh, we have about eight uh, graphic novels or ongoing comic book stories that we sell uh, in comic book, comic book shops, at conventions, online, Amazon Comixology. Um, so we are constantly publishing and putting out new works. We have two books coming out this year that we have not yet announced. So it's, it's just pounding the pavement and, you know, meeting new people. Do you, do you sell your books primarily at shows or do you go through 
Diamond or what is your main distribution? We actually self-distribute, so we are not through Diamond. Uh, I would say the bulk of our sales come from either our online store or through conventions. Uh, we usually do the Southern California area convention circuit, but we've reached outside lately with Arizona, Las Vegas, uh, Silicon Valley, Comic Con as well. So you kind of localized as well. We are. Uh, I mean, yeah. I have to be honest. I had not heard of you in New York. Yes. Uh, you know, you don't go, go to New York, do you? We do not. We hope to one day. But uh, right now we're mainly based in the, the southern, southwest right, uh, United right. States. But we hope to expand. How do you... I mean, how... Uh, I mean, we were talking... Uh, we were both at C3, the Comic Creators Conference. And I was on a panel about, uh, you know, getting attention for your books. I was on it with Jennifer de Guzman and uh, Evan Narciss. And we really said it's hard. It's super, super duper hard to get attention. And, um, you know, like I suggested, you should submit your books for awards because then the judges read the books. Um, but, I, I mean, yeah, how do you, you know? It's a kind of a challenge. It definitely is. I, I say that I'm fortunate because I not only have the perspective of a publisher reaching out for press, but I also have... We have a, a press side of our site, as I mentioned. Uh, so I see the, the pros and cons of what people are looking for with regard to the press, with how can you best get their attention, how can you best provide the information they need. So it's sometimes just making those networking opportunities as well and taking advantage, meeting other people to get the word out. And uh, with Kinsey, as you mentioned, submitting to awards and really getting recognized that way and, and further spreading the word. Right. Um, so what? Um, now can, tell me about Kinsey, though. Tell me more about... Uh, the book because it started out as a comicsology comic, it did. right? Yeah, so Kinsey is about, as you mentioned, the little girl who gets superpowers on her quinceanera. Uh, we started digitally issue to issue and we stuck with the Kinsey theme in that it was 15 issues, came out on the 15th of every month in both English and Spanish. Uh, and then for the trade paperback for print, we collected the full English language version. We hope to, since sales have been so wonderful, we do hope to put out the Spanish language version as well. Um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of the story. So, of the so you are the editor. You function as the editor of Fanbase Press, right? That's so, right. and the, but the book uh, was was the idea of. Uh, now I'm going to mess up his name too. No so please uh, help me out. Of course, Sebastian Kedlechik is the creator. Uh, he uh, is Latino and uh, really wanted to tell this story because he had frequented so many quinceañeras with his nieces and saw them running around in superhero costumes like Wonder Woman, like Batgirl, um, but he wanted them to have an opportunity to be a superhero that looked like them both inside and outside of the mask. Right. And then uh, you hired, now did you help him find the writer artist? How did that, tell us a little about the process sure. of making that. Absolutely. So uh, we did not actually, uh, he brought us the project but had already brought on writer Kit Steinhelner, who is a writer that's written on Z at the beginning of every Everything, uh, as well as her sister, Emma Steinkellner, uh, and uh, they both just provided a wonderful writing and illustrative team to bring this story to life. Yeah, I mean, it is. It really is a delightful book. Um, I, I hardly recommend it, um, but if I am recommending it, how would we be able to purchase this book? Absolutely. So it's available on, as I mentioned, Comixology, but you can also go to our online store at fanbasepress.com. You can go to quinsaycomic.com. They will all point to the same location. It's also available on Amazon if you'd like, so it's, it's definitely out there. It is, and it's spelled Q-U-I-N-C-E. So, and, and just in case you're not, anybody doesn't know, the Quinceañera is the 15th birthday of, uh, in the Latin culture, that is, the girl has a gigantic prom birthday, bar mitzvah, that's just for her. So, you know, it's this coming of age kind of a, of a holiday, uh, which is really cool. Um, so, I'm very curious about doing it for comicsology. Well, because it seems like the uh, it wasn't a web comic. 
it was a digital comic, and, and we talk a lot about that, um, you know, in like awards and and in other settings, like the difference between a web comic and a digital comic. And I, I do feel that you know web comics are super well established, uh, but doing it as a digital comic. I mean, was this a model that you've used before, or was it the first time? Or? It is actually. We used it previously on our series, The Gamma Gals, and uh, for independent publishers and for uh, just uh, the entire comic book industry, printing single issues is rather pricey, rather expensive, uh, especially for the cost that you're charging. So we have moved to the model of if it is an issue-to-issue series, we will publish digital first and then collect in print later. Right. Now, did you go through Comixology's submit portal, or how did it end up? We did, yes. We used Comixology submit for all of our previous titles, so uh, we had an established relationship with them. And uh, Actually, they were wonderful to work with. I had contacted them in advance, given that we wanted to do the release on the 15th of every month, and they were so welcoming and supportive of that, that issue. Right, right. Okay, so just to, that's, that's really interesting, because I know that they've just started doing some of their own digital comics, but I mean, they are for things that are, you know, I think Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. That's probably wrong. Chip, if you're listening, please forgive me, okay? Well, I'm sitting here at the con on Sunday. Um, but anyway, I know that they are doing their own yes. kind of, you know, like they've done their own programs, but this was through Submit, which, which I do know, I mean, Chip Mosier is a huge friend of the podcast and a friend of my, my website, and uh, you obviously, you're nodding your head, so you must know Chip as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and he, but he's like a huge proponent of the Submit portal. Absolutely. Now, Oh, go on. Oh, uh, just to say that it's been wonderful for independent creators to provide them with a platform to get their word out there. And that, you know, if they didn't want to go the webcomic route, this is another wonderful opportunity to reach audiences all over the world. Right. So you feel like it is, you know, it is a, a good place that and it, that it's a good uh, good platform for you to market from? Absolutely. Oh, definitely. It, and you can, you know, share those links everywhere through social media, no matter the platform of social media that you're using. But absolutely, especially for if you have limited means and you cannot uh, have finances to print, it's a wonderful platform. Right. Now, um, Barbara, just, uh, I mean, obviously you're a scrappy, up-and-coming indie publisher, uh, but with a lot of, uh, you know, good material and uh, ambitions and everything. Uh, I, and, you know, again, I think Kinsey is a really good example because, you know, it has gotten a little bit more attention in this way. I mean, how, uh, I mean, what would be the next step for it now that it kind of got a little boost in this way? Absolutely. Very, we are very fortunate and grateful that we've had some conversations outside of the comic book world with uh, film and TV possibilities. So that will kind of be the next step and that we're working with for that property specifically. Uh So we're can't say anything yet, but but it's Right, right, right. Are you looking to just, I mean, you, do you print it? Uh, do you do print on demand? I mean, how do you produce the print edition? Actually, we have worked with a uh, the same printer. Their name is Bamboo Inc. They're based in Virginia. We worked with them for all eight years on all of our comics and graphic novels. So we have a wonderful relationship with them. They do such quality and uh, amazing work. So we, we will right. So you so you just do a print run, basically. We do. We do all of our books uh, do a thousand copy print run. Right. Okay. Great. Now, are you looking to take new submissions, or you know, are you what what is what is the bigger picture for fan base press moving forward? Absolutely. We are accepting submissions at all times. The big thing, again, and going back to the the rising tide analogy, is that uh, at any step in the process, we are happy to accept submissions, no matter their level in the process. Uh, While we are a small publisher, we can't take on everything. And we'll always offer recommendations for other publishers that might be a good fit, or just even discussing self-publishing versus submitting to publishers. Right, right. Now, and you also do... Uh, you also run a, uh, you're uh, a competitor of mine. You run a news site also? What's that do. all about? Yes. 
I so, gotta start uh, linking to it and stealing from it. What's happening? We do. So on the other side of Fanbase Press is we do reviews of other works, and not just comics, but movies, TV, theater, gaming, everything, uh, because it all fans fits right. within the fandom genre. Um, but uh, we also have an editorial manager, Michelle Brittany, who runs our editorials. Uh, we do featured series, interviews, a little bit of everything. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I'm still baffled by how you managed to do all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, it sounds, it sounds like you're really dedicated to doing this. You must be having fun, though, right? I love it. I, would, I don't think it would be possible to maintain this uh, for so long without a passion for it. Right, so right. Well, uh, that is certainly something we talk about and more to come all the time. Uh, well, Barbara, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I and, appreciate it. Oh, yeah. And as always, there'll be more to come. <laughs>